Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. Welcome back to episode 20 of Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. And we've decided to wrap this podcast up. This is the second last podcast episode for season one. And I'm really excited about offering uh, the podcast in seasons because it gives us an opportunity to regroup and to uh, focus in on things and to streamline procedures. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and bringing these podcast episodes to you and I'm so grateful for Pat my my tech guy uh I really say that sometimes and I think I hope he's okay that I call him that because <laughs> um, I wouldn't be able to do this without him I just there's no question and using the podcast app anchor has been super helpful for some of those of you who maybe listen to other podcasts I'm not a big production I don't have a space that people you know fly around the world and come in and chat with me about the podcast app that I use is I'm super grateful for technology but the app that I use is something that allows me to connect with people all over the place. And so I'm looking forward to continuing to offer that to you all. And I really do want to hear from you. So please do leave some comments. You can uh, uh, on the website, hashtag, or sorry, parentingwhopodcast.com. Not hashtag, but just parentingwhopodcast.com. There is a link to the iTunes or Apple site, and you can leave comments there. And I think you can also leave comments on the Anchor uh, app as well, because I have been seeing some there as well. And we taped this episode a while ago, but um, I'm taping this intro to you all it's uh, the week before school starts for kids um, where I live in Ontario Canada and it's usually a busy kind of hectic week lots of running around lots of organizing lots of preparation and so I just want to be mindful for to all of you parents and caregivers who are getting kids off to school it's such a big commitment to support your children in the school experience and um, you know, it's it never gets easier. And uh, this year, I actually only have uh, one kid going back. I had my older guy graduate last year. So a uh, big difference for me in uh, that whole supporting my children uh, in the school experience. So it'll be interesting. Um, but today I'm pleased to introduce you to Babita Spinelli. She is a licensed psychotherapist, psychoanalyst, 
and has uh, one practice in New York and two offices in New Jersey. And she also does online work and you can find her at openingthedoorspsychotherapy.com. And Babita talks about how her clients are the best part of what makes her the therapist that, um, what does she say here? The best part of what makes me who I am as a therapist are all of the clients who have let me into their lives and trusted me with their stories throughout the years. I'm just reading this from her website and she talks, Babita, about how in the collaborative work that she does with her clients, she continues to grow and evolve as a therapist and she feels honored to be a part of her client's journeys and each session brings a, a better understanding of the individuals, more growth and greater resilience. And she talks about how she draws from her uh, personal life to be a better uh, therapist. And so she talks a little bit about that in today's podcast. And I just I really love the honesty that Babita shares because I really want to, it, sometimes I talk to people and it almost to me sounds like that therapists are this other being that is a really big mystery to people and I just want to bridge that gap or lessen that gap that, you know, at the end of the day we're humans too and we really are committed to doing and being the best therapist that we can be and we do our own work and so Babita really exemplifies that in uh, the stories that she shares and also in the information about her on her website. So feel free to check that out at openingthedoorspsychotherapy.com. Babita also talks about, and I realized I really like asking this question to the therapist that I talked to. Uh, she gives us a nice story about uh, how she came up with the name Opening the Door to Psychotherapy. So I'm excited for you to hear that. So just a couple of specifics. She's graduated from New York University, Temple University School of Law. She has uh, training uh, from the National Institute for the Psychotherapies, including five-year advanced program in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis. And she is the first psychoanalyst therapist that I have interviewed. And uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, um, and again, I've interviewed a lot of different therapists who have different schooling, and again, I really want to demystify what that is all about, because at the end of the day, and we talk a little bit about this today in the podcast as well, uh, how choosing the right therapist for you is so incredible, incredibly important. And so knowing the and understanding the background and the training is one of those things that uh, I always try and touch on. And so uh, Babita has um, training in psychoanalysis, and she explains that a little bit. She also, through the National Institute for the Psychotherapies, has training with individuals and couples and uh, adult survivors of abuse. She is level one and level two certified in EMDR. She has a collaborative divorce certification and Gottman level one and level two, and also bringing baby home. Uh, she is a certified educator and facilitator, and that's the Gottman method as well. And if you were to Google Gottman meth method, you would understand that a little bit better. And Oh my gosh, like correct me if I'm wrong, Babita, if you hear this, but the Gottman method, I believe, is couple specific. Um, I don't 
see couples in my practice, but uh, I'm pretty sure that I know Gottman work for uh, couple couple uh, work specifically. She also has a emotionally focused uh, training, emotionally focused therapy training for couples. That was really hard for me to say. And integrative mind-body training under the supervision of Dr. Henry Grayson. She has training in Mott Hall Charter School. She was school counselor slash psychotherapist and provided counseling for middle school and created a unique program combining athletics and therapy for boys and girls. Ooh, that sounds exciting. And has memberships with the National Association for the Advancement of Psychoanalysis, National Institute for the Psychotherapies Professional Association, New Jersey Association of Women Therapists, National Association of Professional Women, and Trauma Recovery HAP. So come check her out at her website. And like I said, she also does online work. So you can reach her via her website for that work. And today we talk about a blog post that she did that I really resonated with. And I think it was, I don't know what it was entitled. Well, she does have one on there called What No One Tells You About Therapy But Should. That one's dated April 6, 2018. And I actually think that's the episode that we talk about, or not the episode, but the blog post that we talk about in our uh, podcast. I'm (laughs) at the time of editing the podcast I'm uh I'm doing some contract work with um what's it called the Ministry of the Attorney General I think it's called but it's it's some contract work that I'm doing with regards to custody and access for uh children in high conflict families and so I'm doing that as I'm editing the podcast so I'm finding my plate really really full right now so um I I apologize I should have had that prepared ahead of time and no one would exactly blog, blog post we were talking about, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was the one about what people don't tell you about therapy and should. And then she also talks about her experience in creating a cultural space and offering multicultural therapy, which in this day and age is so incredibly important. And to be culturally sensitive as a therapist is is also really important to be able to support your client, but also to be able to realize how we can as therapists, we need to check ourselves at the door and do some reflection and be able to understand the context and the lens in which we see things and how the last thing we want to do is be harmful or hurtful unintentionally towards our clients due to lack of understanding and ignorance around the unique cultural experiences of others. So uh, I really wanted to uh, create some space for Babita to talk about that in today's podcast. And so she's done that as well. But also for you listeners, I wanted you all to know that, you know, if you're uh, someone who is living wherever you're listening to this podcast and you're living in a multicultural society and or you are seeking help for some kind of mental health issue, then know that it's, if you can, seek out someone who has the ability to create that cultural safe space for you in order to get the best therapy experience that you can, because it does exist. It is out there. It just might mean a little more research and might take a little bit longer for you. But also, this is why I'm really, really loving the online uh, therapy and how it's growing so much, because 
for someone who maybe isn't accessible in your local community, there's someone like Babita who can offer the therapy online. So uh, of course, you'd have to talk to her about suitability and all that stuff. But okay, so enough about me. Uh, Please check out my website, parentingwhopodcast.com. And on there, there is a link to the iTunes and it has to iTunes and it has the list of all my podcasts there. And uh, we're asking for comments and feedback as mentioned. And enjoy. Hi, Babita. Thank you for joining me on Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. Hi, Julie. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to connect with you. I've been having a lot of fun doing this podcast. And so you and I connected in one of the online forums. Maybe it was um, an online therapist group. I'm not sure. But, yeah, me, me neither. But I, I know it was somewhere. And I was like, Oh, my goodness. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm having so much fun. But you hail from so you have an office in New York, and you have two offices in New Jersey. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And so um, the other thing about you that is a little bit different from some of the other people that I've had on the podcast is you're a licensed psychotherapist psychoanalyst, correct? Yes. Yes. And so I'm curious, from Ontario, Canada, uh, in 2015, the College of Registered Psychotherapists was proclaimed and it became a thing. Um, And then we, of course, have social work here. And some of the other people that I interviewed were licensed clinical social workers. And But what is different about the psychotherapy psychoanalyst for you there in New York? Sure. Um, So psychoanalysts exist everywhere. But basically what it is, is in addition to your master's and whether that's in social work or going in the track of being a psychologist and a master's in psychology, etc., the psychoanalytic training is providing additional four to five years of clinical and academic experience to those of us in the field who want to better understand the unconscious mind, pathological behaviors, um, the uh, different theorists that were psychoanalysts, starting from Freud to Winnicott, Klein, beyond, and being able to apply that more deeply in clinical work. And so you have an additional three hour, 3,000 hours of, you know, training and supervision and Uh, patients that you see under the umbrella of the psychoanalytic institute that you train in, whether that's NYU postdoc, whether that's where I went, which is the National Institute of the Psychotherapy. So that's the distinction. Okay. So that's pretty intense. Oh, yeah. It's an intense program. And when you survive it, I mean, it's (laughs) it's wonderful, but you're also just like, oh, my God, I can't even believe I went through this. Right. Yeah. I like how you said survive it because there would have to be some survival to get through four to five years of extra schooling, 3,000 hours of supervised practice. That's intense. It is. Yeah. And it's um, when I did my internship for my master's, I worked with a social worker who had the psychoanalyst Um, training as well. And so we only dabbled in it just very, very uh, slightly. So I can appreciate all the time and effort that goes into it. And so the unconscious mind piece is the biggest part of that. Is that correct? It is. I mean, there's a lot of different techniques because you can do um, analysis based on different theories, such as the interpersonal perspective, 
where you focus on a lot of the details and that uh, describes what, what's going on in the person's life or relational, which is basically saying whatever takes place between the person and someone else, it's not just owned by that one person. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways to look at it. And I think when I weave it into my practice, it is about the, you know what's going on in the unconscious, but also about bringing in some other sort of very interesting customized techniques into the space that often the client may not even know that that's happening, but it's very revealing and can be very helpful. Yeah. So the name of your business is Opening the Doors Psychotherapy. And I'm curious, I'm always curious about how people come about in choosing the name for their practice. And I wondered if you could share a little bit about that. Sure. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the personal touch and then the more sort of, I would say, uh, formal reflective touch. I love doors. Okay. <laughs> so I love different kind of doors and I have traveled throughout the world and taken pictures of the, of doors that are styled differently, made of, you know, different textures and designs. And when I was thinking about my practice, I was also thinking about that life is full of the doors that we feel are closed, either mm. within ourselves, in our relationships, in our life. And it's sort of is something that I felt that my practice could represent that we can open those doors up even if we feel like they're shut down or we are shut down. So mm -hmm. the combination of my love of doors and their meaning as well as what it would mean to sort of name my practice in that way and what it means to the therapy that I uh, work in, the space that I work in with my clients. That's a great story. I, I would not have known, obviously, that, that there was that, that backstory to that. So I'm really glad I asked that question. <laughs> yes. It's a lovely story. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And your website, actually, uh, I don't want to, um, well, I do want people to know where they can find you. And we can talk a little bit more about that at the end. But your website is really well done and really, it's beautiful. It's very informative and crisp and clean. And so... Uh, there's a welcoming with your logo, your name, as well as, as your website. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. I really wanted to just take a lot of time with my site to be able to share with anyone who goes there, you know, not only my process, but who I feel that I am, because mm -hmm. I feel that it's so important in the therapeutic space for individuals to feel that the therapist is the right fit and they can connect with that person. And I feel that the first step to that is really, what are you sharing on your site? And then it goes deeper after that first initial view on the website. Yeah, it's, it's true. And people, people do get a feel for uh, you in that way. And I know that others have shared that with me as well. I've had a couple sites over my, my practice period, but uh, I work with children and youth as well. And um, sometimes just the way that it's laid out, I'll say to parents, you know, show them a couple different sites and see, see what they gravitate to. Because like you're, it's so important that it's the right fit. And I'm imagining you're having that conversation with your clients right off the bat, the way that I do around it's the process never is about us. It's always about the client and making sure that it is a good fit, Right. Absolutely. And by the way, I love your site as well. And I was really drawn oh, to thank it. You. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I feel that the, the first 
conversation or even conversations with the client is about that and that they deserve to be in touch with that and feel that they have choices. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, you know, going to be me, that's okay. You know, we can figure out like who I can refer them to or what might be a right fit. And I think that really helps to also build the trust when you open up the space in that way as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it, like I say on my website, the therapeutic relationship is like no other relationship that you have in your life. And it, it, you know, over time, it just became so apparent to me that that really is a conversation that I need to have with my clients right at the get go, because we, I, I felt the need to differentiate what this was that they most likely sometimes, you know, they've seen other therapists, they have an idea of what goes on, but generally speaking, it's a human to human contact, but for them, it's not one that they've ever had in a professional capacity quite in quite an intimate way. I mean, they have relationships with their doctors, but that's more medical based, uh, you know, different others, other professionals in their lives, but um, letting them know that they're, they have permission to make that choice is, is a big deal for, for a lot of people. Absolutely. And I feel that often, um, I mean, I've written a blog just on the beauty of the psychotherapeutic relationship um, and also just, you know, a lot of reading about it in terms of just the relationship itself can be the psychotherapy. It's not only about that we're looking at issues or navigating through life's ebbs and flows or, you know, doing some reflection into the unconscious mind, so to speak. But it also is about that this unique relationship can actually help them in a way that they may never have had in their lives. And it can model something so different for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For example, when someone feels like they don't want to attend an appointment that week, oftentimes that's the reason why you need to go to that appointment because that might be some reoccurring pattern that's coming up that for you, when you sense maybe you're getting close to someone you bolt or you run and working through that in the therapy and the therapeutic relationship can help bring you past that, that negative recurring pattern in your life. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, That's a great example. And another one is, is, even the relationship to money, you know, you know, in the therapeutic relationship, it's something that's built on trust and it is a relationship, but you're also paying for it. And what is the the client's relationship to money and investing in themselves and the self-care and understanding that process. And that reveals a lot as sort of an area in individual's life that tends to, to recur, whether it's money in the form of deprivation or money in terms of their own self-care or money the way that it's transpired within their families and what that meant to them. So that's another example of how it can play out Mm -hmm. in the therapy too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your blog, uh, you had one in April of 2018 entitled blog, what no, or what no one tells you about therapy, but should that I loved that. And when I saw that come through on my feed, I shared it because that is something we need to talk about. And uh, some of the subtitles for that blog were, it's not like on TV, you won't feel better immediately, you have to want to change. And I wondered if you could take a little bit of time to, to chat about that for our listeners. Sure. And I, I wrote that because 
it's interesting because it was sort of coming up with some of my uh, clients that had never been in therapy before and they were having, you know, all these feelings about it. And also there's several TV shows now that have a therapist, you know, Billions, there was The Sopranos and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it felt a little scary for them to start. So basically what I talk about in this blog and is about one that it's a little scary, but there's some myths about it. So for example, often you might feel, okay, I'm going to go see a therapist and everything is going to be solved in, you know, a session or two and I should be feeling great. And that might feel a little disappointing because it is a journey. Mm -hmm. And I often say this takes time and there are days that, that they'll have these aha moments and you're like, oh my God, yes, this is what I've been dealing with and how I can manage it. And there might be other times where it feels hard because we are uncovering and getting into the roots of what we might be repeating or the roots of something that might be painful. And so what I say is there, it's a journey and that there, it requires some patience, but we will get there. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the, the first part in that article. The other pieces are sometimes people feel like it's all about what I say, dethroning the parent, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about the parents were terrible. It's all about my <laughs> childhood. And that is not necessarily true. Yes, do we explore sometimes things in the past or the way we were raised, et cetera. But really the goal of therapy is to be able to hold the space of the beauty of the childhood and the experiences, but also just to better understand what might've taken place in your past that's impacting you now, but not to just make it all about the parents. So that was another myth that I felt like I needed to address in the, in the blog. Mm-hmm. And take away that fear because people, those unfortunate or those maybe abusive things that could have happened to some people in their childhood, if they think that that's all you're going to delve into in therapy, then yeah, that's going to add to the stigma that already exists. And like you said, there's some TV programs and some myths out there. And so helping people to understand what you said so eloquently, uh, holding the space of the childhood experiences and recognizing and realizing as well that there were aspects of that that were also positive and formed who you are today as an adult. Yes, exactly. And it's interesting. It plays out a lot when I do couples work. And mm-hmm. so when I work with couples, and let's say they're either new parents or um, they're recently married or they've been married for 20 years and things are coming up we will often go into that space around some of their family experiences and patterns so that they can better understand each other, but see what their triggers might be and what's been playing out in their current relationship because of the way things, the dynamics between maybe their parents or themselves in their families. And it's really eye-opening and has been um, really rewarding for the couples that I work with to talk about that and see how it fits into their relationship. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's all of those things, but ultimately it's fascinating, which then leads me to the one quote that I was going to mention a minute ago that you have on your website by Ian Thomas. Everything has changed and yet I am more me than I have ever been. Uh, yeah, I just love right? that quote. I, I saw that. And I, was, I totally, absolutely love it. I've never heard it before. Yeah. What about that resonated for you? 
So I'll share something personal, which, which is also in my journey on mm -hmm. uh, my website, which I know sometimes therapists feel like that's so taboo to disclose anything, <laughs> but that's just not who I am. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, through my own therapeutic journey, because I felt if I'm going to do this training and be a therapist, how do I have this expectation of others in the world if I myself do not have the experience mm -hmm. of being in therapy? Um, but as I was navigating some issues that had come up in my life, I was really working through those pieces with a therapist. And in that journey, as I found myself changing how I looked at things, realizing things that weren't healthy for me, I just connected more with who I am. Yeah. So even though things were changing around me, decisions were being made around career, personal stuff, etc., I was more deeply finding my voice and feeling more powered about myself. Yeah, and you know, tapping into a connection with yourself that you didn't even know was not there. Exactly, that there was, there was this part of me that was dormant. And that's also kind of goes back to what I feel is just the impact of being in therapy is that having that take place and unfold can be so huge. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why this quote is so lovely because it talks about, because a lot of it, a lot of people don't like change. And so in this quote, it says, but change is okay. We recognize, we acknowledge it's happened, it's happening, but I feel more connected to myself than I ever have been. And then there's a curiosity. There's a little, oh, what does that mean? You know, that I like, even just as we're sharing it here for the listeners today, that because that's my goal and my hope with this podcast is to normalize this conversation between two therapists and to help people feel less afraid to seek out for something that maybe they don't know is missing in their lives, but not be afraid and be more curious about what they can unfold. It's interesting because I do a lot of these uh, podcasts and every therapist that I've spoken to will share how it's so important to them that they do the work too, rather than have, you know, come in as this expert in someone else's life, because that's just that hierarchy shouldn't exist in the therapy room. Uh, you know, as opposed to some extent, there are some therapies that that might work. And I, I'm not saying that that's not the case, but I too agree that it's important that our clients know that we've walked this walk as well. And we know how hard it is. Absolutely. I feel that it's important for them to know that we're real and that really this is a partnership I'll, I'll often say in the work, this is a partnership. Um, we do this together. And I think that's really important that it's recognized that it's a collaboration. And, and maybe my story is not the same as yours, but there may be elements of it that might resonate with you in some form. Or just knowing that things can be messy, even in, for therapists. Mm -hmm. um, and that this is how we also sh talk about it in our own therapy mm -hmm. and that that sort of helps them to feel less afraid mm -hmm. of the journey. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One of the other things, Babita, that I wanted to chat with you about is the, on your website, you uh, 
specifically list some of your specialty areas. And I noticed that you mentioned multicultural therapy. And so I was really curious about that and wondering what might be different in terms of the training that you may have and or the style in which you would interact with a client in that in that context. Sure. Um, so I was always extremely interested in cultures and how various cultures can impact uh, behaviors and patterns and how um, you relate to others and that each culture is very unique in who we are. And so in my clinical work, uh, working at the Institute, I had requested that I would really like to work in a space of where individuals are coming from different uh, cultural backgrounds and biracial couples or couples that are multicultural because I wanted to understand better the dynamics that play out, not just, you know, psychodynamically, but also from how where they come from is impacting, has impacted who they are. So I'll give some examples around mm -hmm. that. So for example, working in a particular culture that is much more conservative, that they're conservative, not only in their, let's just say something obvious like sexuality, but in terms of how they express themselves, and then there are cultures that might be more open and verbal and passionate and liberal um, and, or might be more expressive. And so the way these individuals are raised and what they learn is, take, is kind of reflected out into the world, right? And then that can also impact their identity and who they are and how they see things. So I just did some additional, you know, academic study around that. I did some clinical work around that. And that's why um, I, you know, kind of put myself out there in terms of having a niche around the multicultural cultural space. And I consider mm -hmm. myself culturally sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, another example is in terms of the relationship work I do in terms of couples. If there's uh, an individual that might come from a culture of, let's say, privilege. And what I mean by that is they come from a culture, from a country even, that has actually in the world out there maybe been the more dominant one and then you have a culture mm -hmm. that might have come, been more oppressed, how that plays out in the relationship in terms of the dominance and submission can sometimes play out. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And without realizing it, I suppose, too, right? Absolutely. Without realizing it, without even knowing that that's there, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of, there could be a lot of confusion around it, but when you end up unpacking that, um, the relationship can see how that is playing out. Or if there's, let's say, intergenerational trauma with one particular person because of their background and country they came from, how that plays out in the relationship or in their own individual work that they don't even realize is taking place. Mm-hmm. Well, how could they when there's the intergenerational piece and, you know, going back so far and so long, it, you know, it isn't, they're just living their life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so true. Um, and I know this, I might be digressing, but, you know, one of the modalities I've introduced in my practice is EMDR work. And mm -hmm. often when I do that, an individual says, oh my goodness, I suddenly went to an image of my grandfather in such and such country and how he had, he was ostracized and had to leave the country like out of nowhere. 
Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Here we go. Right. Ah, yeah. There's, you understand that side of it. And so then you're there and you're supportive for your client through that process and that journey. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I did do another podcast episode with an EMDR therapist. And is that something that you plan to do with a client or does it sort of unfold in the session for you that that therapy specifically it goes both ways so there there are some clients who have reached out to me that have said we'd like to do EMDR and saw that you do that and can we work in that space and what I do with those clients is is there's a lot of prep work to see if EMDR is sort of the way to go Mm. and either we do or we don't um, and then with other clients, I do tend to work more psychodynamically, but then while we're sort of been in our journey together, we may say uh, or come to the decision that EMDR might be helpful in targeting a particular trauma. Yeah, that's really interesting. For someone like yourself who has different training and different modalities that you can work from, it really I'm going to bring the therapeutic relationship back into it again, because that's so important in terms of how you assess what the best intervention or treatment is for your client. So true. And and that's why I feel like uh, I constantly want to like learn um, and understand more. I never feel that I should be stagnant. Like this is what I've learned and this is it. And this is what I'm going to use because mm-hmm. each client is so unique, as you know. Mm -hmm. And so I like to sort of customize it based on what this person is bringing in and what I Mm -hmm. think might work with them and what we feel might work best, you know, in their, in their treatment, basically. And it's, I don't know for you, but for me, when I was learning the different modalities and doing my undergraduate practicum, it was with uh, children and youth. And you learn all of these different styles of therapy and, on paper, it's like, how do you possibly link the two, you know, and know what to to use as a modality with, with the client right before you? And when I was working in this uh, school, it was a specific classroom that had a low ratio of kids and there was high needs and there was a lot of adult support in that classroom. And it just, it just became aware you know, with the unique individual, their personality, the challenges that they had, the goals that they wanted, it was like, oh, okay, I know that like cognitive behavioral therapy is going to work really well for you just based on those things. And then for someone else who was really maybe stuck in their head and, you know, was wanting to really quiet that down, it just seemed more appropriate to do something that was more mindfulness-based. And so it just happened all of a sudden one day, I was like, oh, now you know, I see what I'm learning on paper and I see how in the real experience of doing this work, it really just is a puzzle piece that just naturally fits at some point, doesn't it? That is so true. And you really put that so well, Julie, because (laughs) that is exactly how I feel about it, which is why I might say it's somewhere in the website that it's never cookie cutter. Therapy's not, shouldn't be cookie cutter and it isn't. And so just as you said it, the way you know, like, okay, how, what, what would work for this person and what would be the best way to connect and be helpful for them? It's exactly how I work too. If someone says, I really need to feel grounded. I, I have this anxiety. I, I, do you have grounding techniques? I'm like, yes. Okay. First, let's look at the anxiety. 
and let's let's see what could help you in terms of grounding techniques. Let's go in the CBT direction. Let's you know, mm-hmm. let's bring that in. Um, and the same thing around mindfulness. What I think is wonderful is because you also work with children. I think it's great to start off early, and that mm-hmm. this awareness is taking place in the parents and the child that you work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually a lot of fun. And, and I take that job really seriously, knowing that I usually am the first therapist that their, their child or even the family have seen. And I, I want to plant that seed so that something resonated with them that they will seek out the professional support at, at another point in their life if they're feeling like they're struggling. And I take that very seriously. And uh, yes, and helping them to feel you know, feel grounded and know what good feels like rather than oftentimes what they're coming in with, which is, you know, these big challenges that are just overwhelming and all consuming in their lives. And, and so therein lies that the process and slowing things down and taking it step by step and uh, knowing what's best, you know, some individuals are happy to just sit there and talk other individuals. (laughs) Recently, I my office turned into a soccer field and we were kicking a soccer ball around my office. And um, yeah, so honestly, it like when I mentioned earlier, I'm not the authority in their lives. And I like to sometimes say that to people, it's intimidating to make that call to a therapist. It's, it's even more intimidating to walk through that door. But as you said earlier, it really is a gift that you can give yourself, you know, you were talking about the financial component, and that act of self love for yourself and seeking out therapy and working through some of your stuff. Yes. And um, I agree with that point of, of that part of this is for us to reduce that stigma out there in the world about it. And so I feel like, you know, in my, on my website, I say individual therapy, you know, me and my therapy, you know, just me and my, um, and self-care because we take care of ourselves in so many ways, but we don't sometimes think about taking care of our mind, taking care of our hearts are important too. So people find it easy to like go to the gym and do other things, which is important and significant, but seeing therapy as something which is just as significant and can be just as wonderful and rejuvenating and restoring. Mm-hmm. And one of the messages that I was floating around social media last week, I had read a post that someone had put out the idea of seeking out a therapist, not when times are really difficult, you know, we're here and available for that as well, but don't just think of it as something to do when you're in crisis mode, because if you can be curious about the possibility of developing, finding someone that you connect with and developing that therapeutic relationship, just to, I have people, and I'm not sure how long you've been in business, but myself, I've been in business since 2011. So someone that maybe I would have been working with early on, I'm still in business and they'll call me because they know that I know some of their story and it's just, the door is open for them and it's easier. And so seeking out a therapist at times when, you know, maybe you're unsure about something, but it's not catastrophic. That's a really good thing to do, isn't it? Yes. And it's so uh, timely that you say that because I'm just starting to put out on my social media, the concept of therapy for everyday life. And so what I mean by that is exactly what you're saying. You know, there may just be a point in time where 
you've just started a new job and there's some stressors mm-hmm. around that, mm-hmm. or you are uh, getting married, or you've had a loss, you've lost a pet, mm-hmm. uh, if you've lost a loved one, and so you may want to talk about it, um, or you've just had a baby, you know, whatever it is. And it's funny because similarly, because I've been in practice for several years, I've had clients come back and say, hey, Babita, you know, can I, can I see you? I'm having a bit of a, a struggle mm-hmm. with something and I'd love to talk about it. And I know their history. We've mm-hmm. kind of been in this space before. And so we just sort of continue on saying, okay, well, what, what's going on today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they can kind of pick, they can sort of go um, pick up where they left off, essentially, because that's the goal, right? We teach them the skills, and then they they carry out there into the world and live their lives. And um, yeah, sometimes there's a blip on the road, and they need to come back in, and and that's what we're there for. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and um, I think similarly, one of the areas I know you practice in this too, in terms of online therapy is when people have these things, these blips, maybe they've started traveling a lot or something's Mm -hmm. changed in their life circumstances and they need to be home, that they have an option of still meeting online and being able Mm -hmm. to share and talk. Mm -hmm. I know the whole online thing has just opened up so many possibilities and excites me to no end because of that so that I can still be available for, for my clients yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of how I sort of opened up the practice in that ways is uh, clients that I'd already had saying, you know, we're moving, you know, I'm moving to, mm-hmm. you know, s- several miles away and it's mm-hmm. going to be hard to come in, but I still really want to see you or uh, somebody else saying I've started this new job and I have to work all these hours and unless I'm going to see you at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah is there any yeah. way that like, I'll shut my office door and I could see you yeah. you know during a lunch break and it's worked yeah. really well and I and um and others then who've sort of heard that I do online work also then reaching out saying my circumstances are such that I can't see a therapist in the office and mm-hmm. I, I I see that you do online work mm-hmm yeah. Oh yeah, I know it's it's uh I'm loving that it's that it's just growing and becoming something that's uh available to people for sure. Because at the end of the day, we just want to help people and if it's another medium that allows us to connect with them, then I'm all for it. Absolutely. I feel the same way. Yeah. Well, Babita, we're coming to the end of our time today and I wondered if you could share a little bit of information about people that may want to connect with you, how they could get a hold of you and learn more about you. I know we talked about your website. So if you wanted to share a little bit about that, I'd be happy to hear that. Great. Yes. So um, my website is openingthedoorspsychotherapy.com. And um, so they can just find me that way. I also am on various social media platforms and I find sometimes when someone's on like, let's say Pinterest Mm -hmm. or Instagram, um, that's another way to connect with me. It's like Babita Spinelli therapy. Mm -hmm. And I'm also just open to reach outs via phone. Uh, Very open to that. And I do call back at Mm -hmm. 347-884-7316. And so sometimes people just find it easier to pick up the phone and reach out. Right. Yeah. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, it was lovely chatting with you today. Thank you so much, Babita. Thank you so much, Julie. I I loved having this conversation. Great. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for joining me today. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.